Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is session three of my Genesis podcast. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. Our subject is the Great Flood in chapters 6 through 8. But Christians are faced with the question of whether to take this story literally or not. People did for many years, but then the age of science came, and some began to ridicule whether you could really trust the biblical account to be an actual historical account. So as we begin, I would like to take you to something that Jesus said in a prophetic sermon recorded in Matthew 24, verses 37 through 9. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So we see Jesus Christ, the one in whom we put our faith for salvation, speaking of Noah as a historical person. We also know from Luke 4 that he is listed as direct ancestor of Jesus Christ, And I will show you some scriptures coming up that show that the author of Hebrews and also the Apostle Peter took Noah to be a historical person. So if you say it's not a real story, you are denying the truth of these New Testament scriptures. That's why we still hold to it. Really, we can divide this into three parts. And the first of the three parts is the prepare section of the story. Let's go to Genesis 6, and we'll begin with verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. What a strong statement, and how very far they have fallen from that first temptation to Eve to partake of the fruit that she had been told not to. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Did you know that the Lord could regret things? The King James Version translated that word repented. He changed his mind, as he does on occasion, when people's actions do not live up to what his standards are. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Well, the animals didn't sin. Why would they also have been destroyed? One commentator stated that although animals were not morally involved in man's sinfulness, They were to participate in the judgment on man as part of his dominion. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. 
Now, the question there would be, how did Noah know about God? There was no word of God yet in written form, no Ten Commandments, no churches, no Jewish nation, no priests in the sense that they were descended from Levi. So how would Noah have known of God except that the story of creation and what happened after had been passed down from person to person? And he responded to God as we read in James where it says, faith without works is dead by doing what he knew to do. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. By faith, Noah, we read in the New Testament in Hebrews eleven seven, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So we see that even though we know from other scriptures that every person that's ever lived on the earth has committed sins, he was not a perfect person like Jesus Christ was a perfect person, but he was a person of faith whose life reflected his belief in God. Back to our story in Genesis 6. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. You see that one of God's main problems with people, the sin that he was holding them accountable for, was apparently violence. are lacerated. And I see domestic violence between spouses with men throwing their wives up against walls and treating them poorly. I also imagine that perhaps factions of people were going to war and that families were hurting each other. They were abusive perhaps to animals and God had had enough of this. So he says in verse 14, make yourself an ark. The word here just means box, an ark, a boat of cypress wood. In the King James Version, we read gopher wood because that's similar to the Hebrew word, and those that translated weren't exactly sure what type of wood it was. The modern English translators now say cypress, but it's still not really settled. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark, note a door, one door in and out, and make lower, middle, and upper decks. But we see from what he just wrote 
that it was six times as long as it was wide and 10 times as high. So to recap those specs for you, the wood is uncertain. It's listed as cypress in modern English versions, but some have said that it might've been cedar or pine or fir or teak or sandalwood or ebony or wicker. It had three levels or floors. And it's interesting that each one of those decks was the same height as Solomon's temple that came much later in scripture. It had one door, it had some sort of roof or skylight, and it was coated with pitch or tar. You know that was in the Middle East, and the Middle East is full of oil. And even when you don't drill an oil well, sometimes in very oil-rich places, some of the petroleum products come up to the surface, and so you can have tar pits. So again, the dimensions ratio was 30 by five by three. If it was cypress wood, cypress comes from coniferous tree, you know, like a pine tree and it's durable, it's stable, it's water resistant, it resists rotting and it's good for building and heavy construction. And to give you some sort of idea of what the size of Noah's Ark would have been, our best guess for the dimension of a cubit is that it was roughly one and a half feet. So if that was true, Noah's Ark was somewhere between four and 500 feet long. This was quite the engineering feat. So it would be a mid-sized cargo ship by today's standards since we don't have to use wood anymore. It was among the largest of wooden boats that's ever been conceived. It was extremely stable and could handle 98 foot waves. You know, in 1609 at a place called Horn, H-O-O-R-N in Holland, a ship was built after the pattern of Noah's Ark with that ratio of 30 to five to three. It wasn't as large but it was after that ratio. And that revolutionized shipbuilding. So by 1900, every large ship that was to sail the ocean was inclined towards the proportions of the ark because of its great stability. Because if a ship is too tall, it's unstable. And if it's too long, it can break. And if it's too wide, it's uncomfortable because it bobbed so much on the waves. So the building of this ship in 1609 has been verified by Lloyd's Register of Shipping in the World Almanac. Very interesting how well it was proportioned. At any rate, we continue in Genesis 6. Remember, we're in section one on prepare. I'm gonna be I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. 
you are to bring into the ark too of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two, of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And then notice here this important statement, verse 22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. That preparation apparently took about 100 years because this is the section of Genesis where people had much longer lives. So we see as we come to the end of this section that I am calling prepare that God was warning of things to come. People had sinned. There was going to be a judgment day and those who had faith could be saved. Reminds me of the prophecy that we looked at last week, where he said in Genesis 3 to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Remember the significance of calling people the offspring of the woman? Usually it's the offspring of the man, but here we have an offspring of the woman that's going to be an enemy of the serpent or Satan, he will crush your head. That sounds like judgment on sin, and you will strike his heel. That sounds like a difficult time in the meantime for the means of salvation. So part one was prepare. Now let's call part two, come in and be saved. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal. Now, we haven't heard this yet. It was pairs of all the animals. And that's what's commonly taught in the children's classes when the story is introduced. But notice here, in chapter 7, verse 2, that the clean animals were to come in in seven pairs, a male and its mate, and one pair, every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Remember how we talked about in week one that there appear to be two creation stories. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 were two different traditions that we meld together to get the whole picture. Kind of like how we put the four Gospels together to get a complete picture of the life of Christ. And so we have these two different stories of Noah and the ark. And it's very interesting also to note that there are at least nine ancient stories in various civilizations of a worldwide flood, which to me lends to the historicity of the account, because all of these civilizations had this oral history passed down that was finally written that there had been a great flood coming from Mesopotamia. But we see here seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. 
Now, verse four, Genesis seven, seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Wow, nearly six weeks. And I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. This must have been quite the spectacle and quite the process as insects and reptiles and amphibians and mammals and all sorts of land creatures, whatever they were, came onto this ark. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, you see how they are presenting it as historical? It was a particular year on a particular day in a particular month. On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. So you see, the Bible just say it rained a lot and caused a flood. It says that the water also came from deep down in the earth, from the water table below. And how all that happened has been the subject of great speculation and great derision from liberals as well. But the scripture does say that it occurred, the water came from above and the water came from below and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. So we see that the ark is the means of salvation and that everything that is going to be saved has to come into the ark and that it's not people that shut the door, but it's the Lord that shuts the door. For 40 days, see how this number continues to be emphasized. The flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. Does this sound like the author is trying to describe a local flood here to you? Or is the emphasis such that the claim is that it was actually a worldwide deluge? The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind 
everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. You see what they're showing here? This is a picture of judgment on sin. When people sin, they cannot stand before God. Another scripture says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Every living thing, verse 23, on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Can you see the screaming people running for their lives to higher and higher ground? Can you see them in vain doing things like climbing trees or running up hills or trying to climb mountains? Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Verse 24, the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. And so this was not a 40-day thing. The waters rose for 40 days. The water came down from heaven for 40 days, and the springs of the great deep broke up. And then the rising continued for 150 days. And so that's five months. And then the waters remained on the earth and people in the ark, if you look at the other scriptures, just to save time here, for over one calendar year, 371 days. So now we come to Genesis 8, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep, remember it wasn't just rain, and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down, and on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month, and on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. You've probably heard that Mount Ararat is in the nation of Turkey. Remember that Turkey is in southeastern Europe, just north of the Middle East there, and the little red triangle shows us the approximate location of the mountain range there. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark, and sent out a raven, and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth, so it returned to Noah in the ark. Some have seen this as evil and good, both going out from the ark back into the world and the dove representing faithfulness and we know that she brought an olive branch in her beak meaning peace to the people of God but the symbolism here is debated he reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark he waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark when the dove returned to him in the evening there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. And then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth 
he waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. In this picture, you can see the raven feeding on the dead flesh or the carrion of some of the animals that had died and been floating on this water. But the dove, the symbol of peace and faithfulness comes back to Noah. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. What an ordeal that must have been to be in that boat all that time with all different kinds of animals, with the smells, with the boredom and tedium of the work. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. So remember again, part two was come in and be saved. Come into the ark where there's safety while judgment rains down and you won't die. That reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So first was prepare. And second was come in and be saved. And Peter, in his first letter, third chapter, verses 20 through 22, talks about how we can see Noah's ark as a symbol of salvation. He says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Perhaps we can see the ark as a symbol of the cross or the body of Christ. And as people are brought into the ark, they're saved. As people are brought into the church, they're saved. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. See how this apostle, this disciple of Christ, is treating as a historical story. He goes on in verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we see baptism as death and burial and then resurrection. And so the ark went down into that watery grave that was killing all of the people that weren't inside, and it came back out with people preserved and alive by God's grace and their faith. So part one was prepare, and part two was come in and be saved. Part three is go out and reproduce. So we continue on the last of Genesis 8. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark. First it was go in, now it's come out. You and your wife and your sons and their wives bring out every kind of living creature that's with you. The birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his son, his wife, and his son's wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land, came out of the ark one kind after another. 
And then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds. You remember from the story, there were seven pairs of those, not just one. He sacrificed burnt offerings on it, putting God first. A beautiful picture of faith that God would provide. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So again, part three was go out of the ark and reproduce, fill it. That reminds me of what Jesus said after he said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Following his resurrection, before he ascended into heaven, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He was saying, make converts, reproduce spiritually. In Matthew 28, 29, it's said like this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So bottom line, we see that this wonderful story of the ark is intended to be taken by believers historically. And it shows us that it's fresh and relevant for today. God still judges sin and he still saves those who approach him in faith and count on his grace. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please pass it along. 